Hi, everybody, and welcome to another great episode of the Infrastructures Code podcast. I'm your host, Ohad Meislish. You can follow me on Twitter at DevOpsOhad, and you can follow our podcast at the, at the IEC podcast. Today, we have an amazing guest, Anders Ignert. How are you, <laughs> Anders? Hey, Ohad. It's great to be here. Oh, did, I here. did I pronounce your name properly? Yeah. Or not, not, Almost. It, it was all right. It was all right. Perfect. Anders, tell us uh, what you do, please. Sure. Uh, so I, I work with uh, Devrel at Styra, the company uh, who created and maintained uh, the Open Policy Agent project, or OPA. Uh, so yeah, o OPA is it's an open source policy engine, which is kind of hosted under the Cloud Native Computing Foundation. And it's been, I think, released in, uh, yeah, I think it's 2017, but it could be 16. Uh, it was graduated uh, two years ago. So yeah, definitely one of the kind of flagship projects of the CNCF. For sure, for sure. So we're going to talk about OPA. We're going to talk about Styra a little bit. Uh, we're going to yep. talk about policy as code. I uh, when I explained what is OPA, I said that's the de facto standards today for uh, for policy as code. I'm very happy also that OPA is under CNCF. The license is free uh, forever, which is uh, which is amazing, and that's yet another reason that OPA uh, gets a lot of attention from the community. Uh, so far, more than eight thousand GitHub stars for the. Uh, OPA project. So for those who don't know, please explain not what is OPA yet, but what is policy as code. Sure. Uh, so basically, policy as code is kind of this idea that uh, a lot of the rules or all of the rules in our systems could either should be uh, basically codified. So the way we traditionally work with policy is is Often that we've had some uh, managers or a, a team of, of people who, who wrote the policy and then it resides in a PDF document or a Microsoft Word document or something like that. And then it's kind of handed down to the people who are doing the coding who will do their best to try and implement that uh, as they see fit. So, the, so what, Sounds like a good plan. You yeah, have a document yeah. And and nothing, that work. nothing what could possibly go wrong. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so th there are many problems with, with that approach, of course, and it's because there's a, there's a huge distance between like the people who actually make the policy and those who are uh, later who are going to implement and maintain that policy uh, in, in digital systems or microservices or infrastructure or whatever it might be. So policy as code is basically the idea that uh, we should try and codify that policy, and we should not not just codify because, like, even if you if even if you kind of encode it in Java or .NET or whatnot, it it it's not it's not treated as as an idea or a concept of, of its own right. But basically, policy as code uh, entails that you decouple policy and you treat it as as its own entity uh, that you can test in isolation, that you can deploy in isolation, and that you can work with uh, across uh, team boundaries, organizations, and so on and so forth. So you can, uh, in the same way that you 
that you decouple data and move that out of your application and into a database, uh, you can think of policy as code doing the same thing for uh, the rules of our system. So you kind of move them out of Java or .NET or uh, Golang, and, and you treat those rules as you would with data in a database. It's a concept of its own right. And, and it could be either like managed by development teams, but I think in, in larger organizations, just as you might have like DBAs or database people, uh, you might also have or find like security teams or even policy teams managing policy in, in these organizations. Awesome. So let, let, let's give a, an example. Let's say I'm a DevOps engineer. Yep. And I'm writing infrastructure as code. Let's say it's uh, it's Terraform. Sure. Um, and basically, I can do almost anything with Terraform. I can write code that provisions CC2 instances, S3 buckets, VPCs, uh, RDS, databases, or every infrastructure. I gave some examples in AWS, but Terraform is, uh, is multi-cloud. So I can do whatever I want, provision a lot of infrastructure. So you're saying that uh, maybe some of that infrastructure can be uh, not according to policy. Let's maybe think about an S3 bucket that is uh, public and yeah. accessible yeah. By, uh, by everybody in the world. Yeah, and maybe yeah. that S3 bucket uh, is intended to contain some uh, sensitive information. So in the yep. old days, uh, before I execute the telephone code, maybe I should have read some PDF that the CISO uh, written. And right. I, uh, I need to be careful to follow the rules yep. uh, in the PDF. But now I have... Uh, a much better option, basically. I can write some code in uh, policies code. Yeah. I personally, honestly recommend OPA. It's the, the leading de facto standard for that. So I can write a, po a, a rule and we'll get to which language is that and uh, maybe uh, some uh, fun discussion about that in a moment. But sure. let's say I'm, write sure. I'm writing some rules uh, in OPA. Yep. And basically, before I apply, before I execute Terraform apply, I can go over the plan and right. validate that what I'm about to do doesn't violate the exactly. rules and yep. myself or the security team uh, wrote in OPA. Did I explain that properly? Yeah, that's, that's, that's a good explanation. I think you kind of... You mentioned as well, like you can do whatever you want using using these systems, and that's and that's basically it's a freedom, it's liberating, but it's also uh, from from a security point of view, uh, or it could be a cost point of view. That can also be a huge problem if you by mistake would uh, deploy a very expensive uh, cluster of instances or something. Or of EC2 instances, or uh, you like, there's there's basically two aspects to it that I see. There's one which is like the security aspect, uh, like we should not deploy insecure, insecurely configured infrastructure, if that's the domain we're talking about. Uh, another 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 one is of course like the human factor, like just doing mistakes. We all do mistakes, so that we can do. 
anything we want, it doesn't really mean that we that we want to do and uh, things that we might not have intended. So, so I think there are, even though it's it sounds like para, like a paradox, like to limit to limit what you can do is actually can be liberating because you feel you don't you you don't have that kind of pressure where you know that a single mistake or a white or a white space error in your YAML file is going to cost you like a hundred thousand dollars, or it's gonna or it's gonna lead to uh, sensitive documents. Uh, getting deployed to the public, so it, yep. it's so so yeah, it's basically what what you'd use Opa for in that uh, in that configuration. Let me ask you a question. You know why I'm thinking now about uh, Spider Man? No, I have no idea. <laughs> Spider Man once said, uh, uh, "Excuse me, I think it's uh, Spider's Man Dad told Spider Man uh, with great power." comes great responsibility right right <laughs> so That's true. I'm, not, the, I'm not sure i'm not sure spider-man was the <laughs> original author of, <laughs> of that quote but <laughs> but i'll, I'll play along <laughs> uh, it's definitely in the movie spider-man yeah, uh, yeah. but that but, but now the devops engineers similar to spider-man yeah and uh, they have uh they have great power. Yeah. They yeah. can easily write code that generates a massive infrastructure. You no longer need to uh, install physical pizza servers in your data center and switch some cables in your routers. You just write some YAML files. And yeah. that's great power in the hands of so many DevOps engineer, engineers. Oh, for sure. For sure. I think like the whole... The whole DevOps movement is is super empowering. Like mm -hmm. I, I remember when I started out in tech, where we had to physically walk over with our USB disks or sticks uh, over to the operations side if we wanted to have like some piece of software deployed, uh, and that would that would that was a process. Then then they did, they would have to review that a process that could take like weeks just to get our software deployed. And and now we can deploy not just that software, but, but we can actually deploy the, the servers, the databases, anything we might need, any dependencies we, we have. So yeah, definitely some great powers we've been handed. And with that comes with that. Great, great responsibility. <laughs> yeah. Because you can easily, as a DevOps engineer, create a lot of damage, either in cost or security or misconfiguration that causes downtime. And the more code you write and the more code your organization needs to maintain, it's yep. becoming more and more complex to actually force some rules in order to make sure you're not uh, violating the policy. All yep. right, cool. So how do I do it with OPA? Can I write it in uh, in uh, Python or in uh, Node.js or maybe uh, something called Rigo? Yeah, that's... That could be like I think, yeah, Opa Opa comes with a, a policy language, a declarative mm -hmm. policy language, which is called Rego, uh, which lets you declaratively uh, define these rules. So uh, the structure of a Rego policy is is basically that of, of a, a real world policy. It's it's a set of rules. So you write your rules uh, as you would with a, any other rule. Uh, 
but but obviously adapted to to the domain that we're in here. But it's a, it's a general purpose policy engine, so uh, that's one point to kind of stress. It's not it's not it 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 wasn't built for any specific purpose uh, like infrastructure or authorization, but it but it can be used across the whole stack. Which I think like there's there's a whole bunch of policy engines. Uh, some are good, some are not so good, but most of them are they target one specific domain like infrastructure, uh, and they only do that. Uh, and I think like that's one one trait of OPA, which is I if not unique, at least it's uh, it sets OPA apart from most of them. Is that OPA kind of covers the whole the whole stack. And and by doing so, it's uh, it it can find use cases across large organizations and not just not just a single kind of infrastructure team or authorization team, but you'll find OPA every here and there in in any large organization. Interesting, but you know, if I'm not an expert in Rego and I need some kind of a linter to to help me with that. I uh, I've heard that you can uh, you can help me with uh, some linter, right? <laughs> yeah, that was a leading question, but yeah, uh, that that's been like one of one of my kind of fun side projects, uh, which turned into something more uh, uh, potentially useful for others as well. It, it's been a, a thing I've been working on for the past, yeah, I, I guess, six months or so, uh, because. We talk about uh, policy as guardrails, right? So, as as we as we said, like we want to avoid having to make these mistakes that could potentially be costly or insecure. Uh, now, one I one thing that that then that then becomes obvious, like, but who's guarding these guardrails? Like, who is? How do you know that your policy is actually correct and doing what you think it's it's doing, or uh, how do we can we have the same sort of safety nets applied to policy as we did for infrastructure? And so that's basically the idea of Regal, the linter for Rego, that it's meant to catch common mistakes, uh, issues that could uh, hurt performance or security and so on. Uh, but it's also meant to be a learning tool for people new to to Rego, so that. Uh, for any mistake they make or any kind of violation that uh, the reg- the linter finds, um, what we wanted to do is kind of present uh, documentation, thorough documentation on that issue so that people may actually learn, not just, okay, like apply this and fix my issues, but you actually, you can actually use it to learn Rego and, and learn about uh, not just bugs, but also things like best practices and, and, and style kind of style guides and and so on and so forth interesting uh, I, I have a very uh, relevant question for the latest news so we, we're recording this episode it's now August 17th uh, 2023 2023 exactly a week ago HashiCorp announced a very big announcement regarding the license change and you know, it's it's going to change a lot of things. I would love to hear uh, your thoughts about uh, our expectations, predictions. What do you think is going to happen now with the 
with the community, what you think about open source, what you think about what HashiCorp uh, just did. Sure, sure. So, uh, yeah, what I can say, like, I'm a, I'm an open source guy. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a huge proponent of open source. So I think like any kind of development or uh, that goes in, in the opposite direction where you go from a, an open source license to something more restrictive is, uh, it's, it's, it's sad, really. Uh, I think ultimately, I think it's going to backfire. I think, uh, more open options are uh, bound to emerge and will will likely be what people go with. Uh, like I'm sure they have their reasons. Uh, I'm sure they've done a ton of like back and forth uh, thinking about this. Uh, but I think ultimately, I I don't think this is going to be beneficial for them. I don't think it's going to be beneficial for the community. But uh, yeah, time will tell, I guess. But I, I, I think when, one point to make here is, of course, uh, I think this this hasn't really been a, a thing we have kind of stressed as much in the past. The value of these kind of foundations like the, the Cloud Native Computing Foundation, uh, the Apache Software Foundation, the Linux Foundation, and so on, where, where there's not uh, a single company or entity that has that kind of power, but a, a large constellation of, of many stakeholders and so on that has the copyright and the license is guaranteed not to change. Uh, I think yeah. I think we haven't really talked much about that in the past, but I think uh, this move is guaranteed to kind of put the spotlight on on that on the value that adds. Definitely, definitely. And just reminding us all that the uh, Open Policy Agent specifically is a project that doesn't belong to Styra. It belongs uh, basically to the, to the CNCF. So the license is, uh, is well protected there. That's right. Which is very important. Um, I also want to mention um, that the new initiative uh, is up and running called OpenTF. Uh, disclaimer, I'm uh, one of the uh, great people behind uh, this initiative, and we really hope that this initiative will uh, make Terraform open source this way or the other, either by HashiCorp uh, reverting their decision and donating Terraform to something like CNCF, or uh, we're going to uh, ask the help of the community and some other great companies and individuals to collaborate together on OpenTF as an uh, open alternative, open source alternative uh, to Terraform. So I think this is going to be very, very, very interesting to see in the next few weeks, in the next few months, in the next couple of years, what's going to happen with open source, what's going to happen with the infrastructure open source with Terraform and with OpenTF. And it also means eventually the decision if OpenTF will be a fork of uh, Terraform, uh, Open Policy Agent might need to uh, support uh, a standard of Terraform or maybe two forms of uh, similar things of Terraform. But uh, interesting things might happen that might affect other projects such as uh, such as OPA. Yeah, uh, yeah that's, I think like it's another kind of strength of OPA is it doesn't really rely on any specific technology like Terraform or it's it's JSON in like 
you send in some JSON, make it this OPA makes a decision and you get some JSON back. So whether it's like Terraform or OpenTF or another fork or another technology, it doesn't matter much to OPA, which uh, which I think has been like a key uh, or in part explains why it's why it's so like prevalent in in the tech landscape today. So just to to clarify, if I'm using Pulumi, yep, can I can I use OPA? You can use yeah, I think there's a there's at least a plugin for Pulumi. Uh, what you need, what you need to do, whatever, no matter what kind of application you're using, you need to have an output that is that is either uh, JSON or JAML. That's what mm -hmm. OPA works with. So structured data, hierarchical data. Uh, if your application can be uh, modeled to have that output, you can use you can use it with OPA. And yeah, I, there is there is a plugin for Plumi as well. I. I haven't used it yet myself, but uh, I'd be I'd be excited to try it out. Awesome, awesome! Um, I think that's it for today, Anders. And thank you so much for joining today. Thanks, I Ola. think it's I think it's really important for everybody here, uh, our listeners, to um, you know embrace policy as code. It's uh, it's going to give you a lot of confidence in your changes, less human errors, less mistakes, less horrible mistakes. And if you are considering using policy as code, the first thing, in my honest opinion, that you need to take a look and implement is uh, OPA. It's the de facto standard. It's real open source, not by a company, by, by CNCF. And so that's my personal recommendation. And I'm very happy, Anders, that you've shared uh, the open policy agent story Today with Thanks, us. Alan. I'm happy uh, to be here. Thank you so much. Uh, if you Thanks. enjoyed this episode, uh, please follow us on Twitter. Please uh, share with your friends at the IAC podcast, theicpodcast.com. I'm Ohad Meislish. You can follow me at DevOps Ohad. Thank you very much and enjoy the rest of the day. Bye bye.